0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, welcome to the funeral. Uh, the funeral for the NL East, Rico Bronya, Evan Roberts, great Pete Hoffman, who did a wonderful job on the overnight and, of course, produces Tiki and Tierney. I don't know how much screaming and yelling I'm going to do. Now I'm just a beaten man. I think we're all beaten men. Uh, this was brutal. I think this series was every fear that we as Met fans have deep in our soul. Every time we try to get excited, but we say, oh, no, we're the Mets. We have this in our DNA, and we think back to collapsing in 07 or closing Shea Stadium down in 08 or Beltron striking down in 06 or the way they lost the 15 World Series or the Wild Card game in 16 or whatever the hell you want to come up with. This series was, I think, always the thought in our back of our mind all season long that good things don't happen to us as Met fans. And look, this sucked. And we will do a podcast in a few days in which we'll preview the wildcard series because obviously that's happening. The Bets are not winning the NL East. They are not sweeping the Nationals. The Braves are not getting swept by the Marlins. So that's out. There's no hypotheticals anymore. They're going to be in the wild card series. And yes, we'll eventually talk about how it's a brand new season and anything can happen. And what happened against the Braves doesn't matter because it's a new series against the Padres or the Phillies. But right now, what we witnessed over the last three days was our biggest fear. Everything about it. The big pitchers all came up small. We'll rip Chris Bassett in a minute. The offense, for the most part, did absolutely nothing outside of Jeff McNeil. He's the one guy who, for every piece of criticism we lay out, for however long this podcast lasts, he's the one guy who's exempt. Even the last out of the game, he hit the crap out of. Jeff McNeil was right on in this series. He has three hits in the finale. He hits that bomb of a home run in the third inning. Jeff McNeil had two hits in every game of this series. I got no issues with Jeff McNeil. I got issues with everybody else. But this was our biggest fear. An offense that does nothing. A rotation that underachieved to the umph degree. And the Atlanta Braves, in every way, every single way you want to look at it, they were the better team. And guess what? Over 162 games they were the better team, and they win this division. But to go out like this, to go out with an offense that scores seven runs in three games and gets just completely sliced and diced by this brave bullpen, especially that fat-ass Kenley Jansen, who made it look so easy in Game 2 and in Game 3, to go down bing, bing, bing after they had that rally in the third inning It's why, as a Met fan, it's going to take a lot of talking yourself up to have any confidence in what happens next, because this was the series. You can talk all you want about the series against the Dodgers in late August, early September, or the previous series against Atlanta, or any other series you want to come up with. This was the series, the series that would determine this division, and from top to bottom, they came up small. As far as this game is concerned, the last game of this series, because if you want to hear a recap of game one, go listen to Friday night's Rico Bronia. If you want to hear a recap from the dread of game two, listen to Saturday night's Rico Bronia. As far as the finale is concerned, Chris Bassett sucked. And I think what, what was the real kick in the balls is each starting pitcher from DeGrom on Friday to Scherzer on Saturday, to Bassett in Game 3, all got worse and worse and worse. And look, that third inning was water torture. I mean, that third inning was so brutal to watch, especially because, okay, he puts the first two guys on base, You give up a base hit to the ninth place hitter, that's the killer. You walk Acuna ahead of Dansby, Chipper Jones, Swanson, that's a problem. But he actually fights back after he falls behind Swanson and gets him to fly out, which was the biggest shocker. But to the credit of the Atlanta Braves, both guys advanced. And then he strikes out Michael Harris, who the Mets did a really good job on in this series. I don't think he had a hit in this series. Hit the ball hard a bunch of times, but didn't do all that much. And now if you're Chris Bassett, And you have yourself a lead because, remember, the Mets just scored runs in that third inning and gave you a lead. You are one out away from getting through the third inning with a lead, with a pitch count that's high, but you could still probably get through five, maybe six innings. Drilling Austin Riley was a killer on the first pitch. He falls behind Matt Olson, never had a chance, and was very careful even though he threw the 3-0 pitch right down the middle. And then Travis I mean that is just, oh God. the fact that it's Travis Darno who has become this tremendous player and we can't even scream about it because every last Met fan wanted Travis Darno gone three years ago, four years ago, whenever it was now, we all were done with him and he's fouling pitches off and he's battling. And the longer that at bat went, the way you knew it was going to end. I thought it was going to be a double in the corner, but instead, Darno rips one back up the middle. And Buck had no choice. Of course, he had to get him out of the game. He had thrown 70 pitches. He had given up the back-breaking hit in the third inning. And so you have your starting pitcher, your most consistent starter this season, in Chris Bassett following Scherzer getting knocked out in the sixth. And DeGrom's mediocre, though. I'll tell you, DeGrom's performance now looks a little different. It looks less crappy when you compare it to Scherzer and Bassett. And you have Chris Bassett knocked out in the third inning. And that's bad, and that's brutal, and the Mets starting pitching failed in this series. We talked about that the other day, and you could just kind of pile it on with Chris Bassett. But if you're the New York Mets, and Bassett comes out, and Trevor May, to his credit, comes in, gets a huge pop-up off that douche Marcelo Zuna, you know, you could actually score runs and win the game too. The game is not over. It's not eight to three Atlanta. It's four to three Atlanta. And the Met bullpen, for the most part, outside of the one mistake Lugo made to Olsen, kept them in the game. That's why it goes back to the same story from game one and the same story from game two. And really the thing that defined this embarrassing three-game sweep, they couldn't freaking hit. They couldn't drive in runs. They had a ton of opportunities in this game. They had base runners almost every inning, not the ninth when Kenley Jansen pitched a one, two, three inning, but in most innings of this game, they'd get a guy on base, but they couldn't get an extra base hit though. They did hit the two home runs early and they did nothing. And again, Think about the guys that shut you down. You let Charlie Morton, I don't want to say get in a groove. Basically, he gave you one extra inning, which was that clean fourth inning and got him one out in the fifth inning. But you make Dylan Lee look unhittable. You make Colin McHugh, who's had a good year this year, come in and get a big out against Lindor, who was an absolute dog in this series. You can't hit Iglesias third straight day you're seeing him. You can't hit Minter. And then the one that really drives me nuts is they can't hit Kenley Jansen because they can never hit Kenley Jansen. And Kenley Jansen has been hit by almost everybody in baseball the last few years, not the Mets. And third straight day, and he throws like five pitches in a one, two, three inning? But look, you go back to the beginning of this game. You go back to the first, the second, and the third. And this is not an excuse, because despite coming up small in those three innings, you can still hit in the fourth through the ninth. You can still do more than three measly singles from the fourth through the ninth. You're allowed to. But the first three innings defined really what's gone on with the Mets over the last month. Opportunities that are missed. Two-out rally in the first inning. Escobar strikes out. Yeah, it's great. Vogelbach hits a home run. That was fantastic. But then you get the leadoff man on then you get a Brandon Nimmo single, and here comes Lindor with 2 on and 2-out. And what does he do against Charlie Morton? He strikes out. Lindor had a horrible series. I don't know if this makes us all, and I'm sure it will for many, relitigate what this season has been. Like now, all of a sudden, you're going to look at 25 home runs, 103 RBIs, and say the guy sucked and he wasn't clutch. Look, he was clutch most of the season. I don't think this series should change the reality of what happened over the first few months, but the problem is this series weighs heavily. This series is weighted more than every other clutch moment Lindor had. That's why I always say two things can be true at the same time. Lindor, for the most part, was clutch this season. But in the biggest series of the season, much like most of his teammates, he came up incredibly small. He had two freaking singles in a three-game series against Atlanta. Meanwhile, Dansby Swanson's sitting a home run every night. And I'm not just bringing him up because he's shortstop. I'm not just bringing him up because Lindor makes $300 million. I'm bringing it up because the brave elite players, Matt Olson too, and Pete Alonso would we'll compare you to that because Pete Alonso did nothing but a couple of singles in this series. How many, how many RBIs did Pete Alonso have in this series? Cero. The Mets stars did dick. The Brave stars came through. But they miss an opportunity in the first. They miss an opportunity in the second. But that third inning, and we all knew it. We all knew it. As excited as we are that Jeff McNeil hits a home run, who the Mets have the lead. As excited as we are that Vogelbach rips an RBI single, the Mets have a two-run lead. You have first and third and nobody out. You have got to score runs. You are facing a high-powered Atlanta Brave team. You knew they were going to fight back, maybe not necessarily that inning, but you knew to win this game, you were going to have to score five or six runs. You have first and third, nobody out. And I know Mark Canna had a couple of hits in this game but a little dinky pop-up to first base. Hit the ball to the outfield, Mark. Luis Guillerme, Mr. Contact, strikes out. And then James McCann. I mean, what's there to say about him? He's a waste of space. All right, we could rip him, but we all know he sucks. You have first and third, nobody out, and you don't score. And by the way, yes, it was a great play. Yes, Austin Riley was heads up on that mark can a little chopper, along third. But my God, how many times do we need to hear this broadcast crew make love to Austin Riley on TV? I mean, my God. Oh, what a play. Oh, he's so smart. Oh, he's so sexy. Oh, he's this, he's that. It was a great play, all right? Austin Riley's a tremendous player. But over and over again, we got to hear what a brilliant play it was. And it was a brilliant play. I give him credit. But guess what? The Mets still had first and third nobody out, and they didn't score. And from that moment on, even though the Mets are up three to one, even though Chris Bassett could very well settle in and give you six innings, one run, and yes, the Mets are allowed to win a game three to one, three to two, you just knew. You knew. We all knew how this was going to go. And it went quick. Because the Atlanta Braves responded every time in this series. And think back to Friday night. And I'm not blaming SNY. I don't believe in jinxes. I don't. But when the Mets took an early lead in the opener of this series, one nothing for Jacob DeGrom, that graphic popped up. The Mets record when they lead. The Mets record when they score first. <laughs> well, they didn't score first in the finale of this series. But they had a lead in every one of these games. And it felt like the Braves responded immediately, mainly because the Braves are champions. And that's why from June 1st, even before that, you never, not that I thought the Braves were going to win 100 games necessarily, but you never should have ever counted this team out. And I don't think most Met fans did, even at 10 and a half games up. I think there was always that skepticism, not only about ourselves, but about how good they are. They're the defending world champions for a reason. And right now, and I know you could look at the numbers and say, well, the Braves are only two games better, and the season series ended 10-9. Look, after this weekend and after the four games even last month, the Braves are better. They are. And we're going to go into the postseason, sure, with a chance. Everybody's got a chance. But this is not the best team in the National League. This is a flawed team. And all of their flaws were exposed over these three games. That doesn't mean you can't get hot at the right time. That doesn't mean the Mets have their own Cody Ross. I think about him and that run he had with the Giants a decade ago. But right now, you saw in this three games against Atlanta, the flaws of this team. What are the flaws? They don't hit enough home runs. You know, what happened in this series, there were two talking points that have been around baseball for a very long time that got destroyed in this series. Talking point number one is to win in the playoffs. You got to play a little ball. You can't rely on the home run. Okay. 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 Yeah. I'd love to think that was true. The Atlanta Braves scoff at that. The Atlanta Braves have hit 241 home runs this season. They hit a lot of home runs last season. Yes. It's good to manufacture runs. You like to have a well-rounded offense. No doubt about it. But in this day and age, you do have to hit the ball over the fence. Mets haven't done that enough. They hit two home runs in this game. They didn't hit enough home runs in this series. And they don't have a lot of pop, which we've always known. Problem number one. Problem number two, the stars came up small. We kind of know that. Problem number three, the bottom of the order is a disaster. And they have no depth. Zero they called up Mark Vientos and Francisco Alvarez. We were all excited about it. And it's very fair to argue what Hoff's argued, what I've mentioned. They should have done it sooner. Because you call up Alvarez and he's making his major league debut as this series begins. It shouldn't shock any of us he's out for the series. Mark Vientos has like six hits in the major leagues. Now, that's on them. They could come up and be a house of fire. I understand that. That's what we're all hoping for. But maybe it would have behooved this team to call these kids up in August and not with three games to go. Because essentially it was three games to go. These games against the Nationals mean nothing, okay? You could go play Francisco Alvarez just to see what he has. Games don't mean anything. But the bottom of this order is brutal. I know Vogelbach had a good game tonight. Great job by Vogelbach. And we'll get into pinch hitting him in a second. But Mark Canna has done very little over the last few weeks. Luis Guillerme, we all love Luis Guillerme. He hasn't had an extra base hit in two months. And I know he's not there for his offense. He's there for his defense. But you got to hit a little bit because the catcher is going to be there for his defense, not his offense. So you have a bottom of the order that does nothing. You have star players that have come up small And look, here's the number one issue, probably bigger than all that. Every team has an identity. Every team has a strength. The New York Mets' strength, on paper, has been DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett. And I get it's one turnaround in these big games. For DeGrom, it's two, but Scherzer was great in his last start. Bassett's mostly been great. I acknowledge that. We all know that. But in the biggest series of the year, Their three best pitchers were not nearly good enough. And I'm not saying this as a defense of Jacob DeGrom. I'm saying this because of what the way things worked out. DeGrom's performance looks amazing compared to Scherzer and Bassett. It does. Doesn't mean it was good enough. Doesn't mean I'm happy with it. But you got Scherzer getting knocked out in the sixth inning, giving up four runs. You got Bassett getting knocked out in the third inning, giving up four runs. Not good enough. Not good enough. You can't get, if you're the New York Mets, 14 innings from your three starters and have them give up 11 runs. That's what happened. I mean, the only thing that didn't go wrong was their bullpen was mostly sturdy. I got to hand it to them. Tyler McGill had the bad outing in game one. Lugo made the mistake to Matt Olson. Outside that, Met bullpen kept them in the game. The Met bullpen, the thing we feared at the trade deadline was not the bugaboo. Now, they also didn't have a late lead to protect because each starting pitcher left down by a run or two. Every one of them. DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett. And more than anything I've said about this offense, because you can win a game 1-0. You can win a game 2-1. to That's why the biggest thing that would derail all of this is their starting pitching needs to be great. Because that's their identity. That's their strength. So, yes, I'm pissed at the offense. I led with ripping the offense. But if the Mets are going to be special and they're going to go on a deep October run, isn't it with DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett being awesome, specifically DeGrom and Scherzer as the two future Hall of Famers, where, yeah, you may win a 2-1 to game. You may win a one nothing game. You can do that if those guys are dominant. And look, the Mets didn't score many runs in this series. They scored seven runs. They scored two in game one, two in game two, three in game three. If your ace dominates the way we envision it, you actually could win that game. So everything sucks. That's the point. It's not about saying I'm defending this or I'm defending. I'm not defending anything other than Jeff McNeil. He's the only guy I'll defend because he was good. The rest of it sucked. Now, quickly, Vogelback. Look, here's the problem, and it's a part of this problem is how the Mets are built. So Daniel Vogelback is due up in the fifth inning with a runner on first base and one out, and the Mets are down a run, and obviously Vogelback had a home run in the second inning and had an RBI single in the third inning, and Dylan Lee is in this game. I want to make something very clear. Sometimes stats can be a little overrated. Sometimes splits can be overrated. This guy cannot hit lefties. I'm going to say it as calmly as I can. He hasn't. He won't. He never has. He is here as a strict platoon player. Now, if you had enough depth on your team, you could technically pinch it for him because you like a better matchup in the fifth inning, and then pinch it for the guy you used to pinch it for Vogelback late in the game to also improve your matchup. The Mets aren't exactly built that way. Now, could they have used? Here's my point. They had to use Alvarez for Vogelback. I'm sorry. I know Vogelback was two for two. I know he's produced against Atlanta this year. You really think Daniel Vogelback against Dylan Lee's doing anything? He doesn't hit lefties. I could read off the numbers for you, but just trust me. And he's barely faced lefties. That's the other thing. Look at his time here. Buck has kept him as a strict platoon player. So knowing that, what the hell do you think is going to happen? Yes, a rookie with a monster swing looking for his first major league hit actually gave the Mets a better chance than Daniel Vogelback against the lefty. Your option in the seventh, if you so wanted, was to go to Tyler Naquin to pinch hit for Francisco Alvarez. You could have done that. But I also think, you know, well, I need Naquin to potentially come in the outfield later, which is exactly what happened when Guillerme was pinch hit for Vientos. The problem is, this is not a very good bench right now. There are not a lot of good options. The Mets have become, or the Mets were, a strict platoon team. It started with Dom J.D. It didn't work. It became Ruff and Vogelback. Now Ruff's gone, and you're looking for that right-handed guy. But when you're a platoon team, a strict platoon DH spot, not platoon team, DH spot platoon, really, you want to send Vogelback up against the lefty? Nothing good's going to happen. So I think the criticism one could have, and I'll tell you, it's going to be the criticism Billy Epler's going to hear all offseason, and that is you didn't do enough at the deadline. You failed improving the DH spot. It's an absolute fair criticism. It's the right criticism right now based on production, but I think if you're Buck Showalter, who gives you the best chance in each at-bat? I think you handled it right. I got to defend him. It sucks that Vogelbacks out of the game in the fifth inning. It does. Of course. Would you like him to be up against Iglesias in the seventh inning? Sure. Now there's a chance he doesn't face him. There's a chance A.J. Minter comes into that game one batter earlier. But the Braves are equipped to handle these met matchups because they have three lefties in their pen with Minter, Lee, and Matzik. They've got tough righties in their bullpen. They can beat you with these matchups. And they did. Are <sighs> you feeling Hoffman? You're the one who is confident going into this game. You feel like a horse's ass
1: Uh, I don't want to talk right now because I might cry. <laughs> uh dude, uh, this is this is like my worst nightmare, and I've tried to deflect a lot, so this is this is tough because um and and this is the message to Steve Cohen okay, you have to understand how fragile the Mets team is, and I, I, this the, the, the fan base is, because I, I always hear Tommy. I make fun of Tommy all the time for being too negative. I've been trying to be optimistic. I've been trying to put this you know, on my back, and I think fans have been trying to be optimistic, but the reality is this, like you said, is always the underlining tone, and it's going to take a lot to change that narrative, and he's got to recognize it, and they can't. I don't know if it was on Warren on Epler, more on Sandy Alderson, who it was on, but somebody has to take ownership and, and and somebody has to take blame for this because the collapse could have been – again, it's not a collapse. They're going to win 100 games. They might win 101 games, whatever. The, the, the meltdown of this last month is pathetic, and I put it on management – for just kind of twiddling their thumbs the entire time. It's something that the old regime would have done. They didn't do enough at the trade deadline. And I think that if, if they get knocked it's out. That's the trade deadline though, dude. It's not just the trade deadline. I'm sorry to cut you off. It's not just the trade deadline. We've been talking about this since July. Early. Well, that's July. the trade deadline. But that's the trade deadline. But 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 I understand the trade deadline, call-ups. And I don't wanna you've thought ta- you touched on it also. I, I but but there were so many things. It wasn't just about who to bring in and who to trade for. We've discussed how this team could have changed in so many different ways. People you could have brought in just to kind of get an idea of who's on your squad, so that you don't have to wait six six games left in the season for Francisco Alvarez. Let's see what the kid's got. He's got nothing.
0: Yeah, the, powered the, the calling up of Vientos and ultimately Alvarez was clunky. Now, both guys haven't produced. That's the problem. And just because they were called up a month earlier doesn't mean they were going to produce, you know? I, I think there's hope that maybe it changes things because you give a kid more time to get used to Major League pitching and get used to being in the Major Leagues. But you have Francisco Alvarez getting a phone call a day before a series against the Atlanta Braves as he's driving from Syracuse to Florida. Hey, oh, by the way, come over here and make your major league debut. So yeah, they could have called up these kids earlier. I don't know what difference it would have made. What I think is going to define if things go badly, because that's the thing we always have to preface. They could, even though none of us are confident, go sweep the Padres and go beat the Dodgers. And if ultimately they're sitting in the National League Championship Series, no matter what happens, the divisional race kind of gets forgotten about. It does, because then there's a new battle. Like, if you're facing the Braves and the NLCS, trust me, what happened in the divisional race isn't going to matter if you could go beat them. But if this season ends early, and I think most of us think it will right now, we will look back at that trade deadline and say, why weren't you more aggressive? Why wasn't Wilson Contreras acquired? Why, wh- whatever guy you want to come up with. I know some argue for J.D. Martinez, Wilson Contreras, whoever the hell you want to come up with. Why didn't you do more? Because right now, besides the starters just not living up to their hype, which is on them more than it is Epler or Steve Cohen, it is about this lineup looks weak. You didn't do enough. And results, this is a results-oriented business. There haven't been enough results from this DH spot. You knew it was one of the bigger issues at the deadline. It wasn't addressed. Now, I know there's a lot of Mets fans. I'm getting into my Mets text chat. Got to give Aaron Judge $500 You got to do this. You got to do that. Listen, there's going to be time for that. I don't want to do that now. We don't want to do that now. We don't want to fantasize about what they should add to this team for next year. For next year? This has been one of the great regular seasons we've witnessed as a fan base until the last three games, and now we're starting to game plan the offseason. Here's what we got a game plan, and it sucks to say it. We got a game plan. Hey, who do you want to play? The Padres or the Phillies? Because I already got the scenarios laid out, if you're curious. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Look, they're going to be in the wild card series. This division is gone. Congratulations to the Braves. The Mets are not sweeping the Nationals while the Braves get swept by the Marlins. So as we all face the reality that the Mets are not winning the NL East, they're either going to play the San Diego Padres or the Philadelphia Phillies. And I'll lay it out real quick. And then everybody can decide who they want to play. I'm pretty sure I know who everyone wants to play. It's called not the Padres, even though they've been a 500 team since the, really, since June. Look it up. Padres have been a very average team for an extended period of time. And oh, by the way, the Phillies have been choking over the last few weeks. And thankfully for them, the Milwaukee Brewers have been choking harder. But right now, the Padres are a game up on the Phillies, which means the Mets would play the Padres. The Phillies have the tiebreaker. So if the Phillies can take care of business this week, and it ain't going to be easy for them, they're playing the Astros in Houston, and the Padres get picked off once, then it could actually be Mets-Phillies. But I think it is sort of safe to say it's going to be the San Diego Padres, and that's a brutal series. I got to tell you right now, off the top, they have three starters that can match our three starters. If we're basing it on results over the last few months, Then, yeah, the answer is they can match it. Hugh Darvish has had a very solid year. We know what he's done against the Mets. Blake Snell's a pain in the ass lefty. We know what the Mets do against lefties. And Joe Musgrove's had another solid season. Those are three very good, competent starting pitchers that the Padres are going to throw at the Mets. And Josh Hader's been a lot better over the last month. His ERA is very misleading. And, oh, yeah, Juan Soto. I know his numbers haven't been brilliant in San Diego, but nobody wants to see Juan Soto at City Field again. Jeez, when they traded him, I thought it was the last of them for a while. That is a tough series. And I'm not even really scared about the four out of six during the regular season. It's the fact that Manny Machado's really good. Juan Soto's really good. Jake Cronenroth has like a punchable face. And then, yes, you've got yourself. No offense, Jake. And then, of course, you have yourself three very competent, hey, they can match up relatively closely to our starting pitchers. And, oh, by the way, it's best of three. You could play a triple-A team. Best of three is dangerous. Not as dangerous as a one-gamer as the Mets experienced in 2016. But the main reason... I know I wanted to avoid a wild card series was not about being matched up with the Dodgers in the second round. It's not really about that. It was about best of threes. Wild dude. Anything can happen. And I also wonder as a fan base, are we going to bring that nervous energy to City field next Friday? Like, is that building going to be, it's going to be packed, but is it going to be packed with that? We are waiting for the shoe to drop feel. Because the shoe just dropped, and it dropped hard. Are we going to be sitting there kind of waiting for Lindor to ground out meekly with guys on base before we start giving him the 2021 boo? I don't know, because I think we're all in bad moods. And even though the playoffs are exciting and it's been six years, blah, 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 I think we're all bitter right now.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that's key right there, Evan. This is that's this is I think the most depressing part of the whole situation is like we said, the Mets are going to win a hundred games a season, right? They clinched the playoff spot, and we kind of glanced over it because there's still a lot of work to do, and we're not really going to celebrate going into the playoffs. And I think that a lot of fans are not thinking that they're going to celebrate in the playoffs either. It's like for a hundred win season it's like the most depressing season I've ever had in my entire life to to finish up.
0: Oh, no doubt. Uh, This look, this could go down. (laughs) If things go badly as one of the oddest, exciting, depressing, we're really good. Oh, wait, we're not seasons I've ever seen because you can't ignore winning a hundred games that that matters that's not something i've ever seen assuming the mets win at least two games against washington and who the hell knows that's not something i've ever seen i'm too young to remember 88 to remember 86 and that can't be dismissed as nothing it's it's something but the problem is i think we looked at this team and we're going to define it even further based on postseason success this wild card series is a brand new thing. If you can't get past a wild card series, oh my, I know how I feel about 2016. I'm disgusted by 2016. And 2016 was so different because they were having a mediocre year, got hot late, were lucky to make the playoffs, they were ravaged by injuries, and so it was easy to have a, hey, I'm just happy to be here attitude, but I don't even have that. I look back at 2016 and say that shouldn't even count. You play two games against the Padres at City Field, and you lose two games to them? Are we really going to want to acknowledge this as even a playoff season despite all the fun we may have had between April and September? Look, the positive you can try to draw from this is that this is a lesson, and that to win – You need to lose first. And I do believe that with a lot of teams. I think the Atlanta Braves are a great example of that. The Braves blew a 3-1 lead in the NLCS. That happened in 2020. They came back. They won the World Series last year. I've always said this about the Bucs. I know it's a different sport. But in the NBA, the Bucs had a lot of brutal playoff losses. And what always scared me about that series with my Nets two years ago is, boy, when they get past the big one, they're off and that's what happened now this is one year and this is a different different team than last year so i don't even include last year as the year where they learned i'm hoping that this all happens in one season that the lessons of losing is not in nlcs let's come back next year but is a divisional race let's come back next week and that's what i'm hoping for it doesn't mean i think it's going to happen look right now if you ask any met fan i don't know Other than being a pom-pom waiver, how you can convince yourself things are just going to go swimmingly in this three-gamer against the Padres and then in a five-gamer against the Dodgers. That's the roadmap now. What a roadmap it is. It's littered with trucks overturned on a highway.
1: I hate to say it, but they look kind of old. They look beat down. They look tired. Yes. That's uh, that's that's not a that's not a ground for success going into the playoffs.
0: I was just trying to find something positive. I was saying maybe this is the thing that wakes them up. No, Obviously it's the, it's but but Ev, like like
1: I don't want to be that dude, but like no, they literally because here's the thing is they had everything going into this series. Like everything was I theirs. Know, they got they lost six games at home to terrible
0: teams. And they couldn't find the way to win one game in a league. One game. One That's game. all they had that, to do. That was it. No, I know. Even going into this Sunday night game, it was, hey, just take the final game of the series, and you could still win this division. But here's the problem with this whole old thing. Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett, who are older to different degrees, obviously Scherzer being the oldest. DeGrom has barely pitched this season. Scherzer only made like his third start back off the injured list. There really isn't a tired excuse for DeGrom and Scherzer. Now, there could be a health excuse, as we heard with Scherzer and the blister with DeGrom, but there should be no tired excuse. And the two stars of this team, Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso, are not old. They should not be tired. They should not be hitting a wall. They are not 37-year-old veterans. They are in their prime stars who had great regular seasons until this weekend. So the talk of, and I, I don't disagree, they look old and tired, but it's not an excuse. There's It doesn't make any sense. Oh, geez. I, I'll tell you this right now. I have no interest in going to City Field this week until the playoffs. And this is from a guy who goes to a lot of games. So don't call me a front runner. This is, you've beat me up. You've worn me out. These games don't freaking matter, and wake me up on Friday, all right? I know some fans do that for months. I'm doing it for like a few days. Get me through this series against Washington, and let's get to Friday, hopefully night. Let's make this a night game, so I don't have to sit next to Craig Carton during an afternoon playoff game. Let's get to Friday night, and let's hope this narrative changes because I will say this. If DeGrom dominates game one, let's assume he starts game one. If DeGrom dominates game one, Mets win 2-0. Doesn't even have to be a lot of offense. And then Scherzer dominates game two, and the Mets very quickly, very quickly advance. Boom, boom, done. They're off to the Dodgers series. I think the attitude of a lot of people, including myself, will change. I've always said that. That, how do I explain this? I remember Joe and I had a conversation about the Jaguars, the year they played the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. And he said, the Jaguars, even if they win their first game, there's no chance that I'd ever pick them. And I said, Joe, if they win a playoff game, though, your view on them will change. He's like, yeah, it's true. I said, when you see a team win, as opposed to just saying it now, things change. So if the Mets win a playoff series against the Padres, and they do it the way we expect them all season long to do it, with dominant starting pitching and clutch hitting, and Diaz dominating, that Rico Bronya we do Saturday night, if they swept the Padres, our tone would be completely different. We would not be moping about what happened against the Braves a week earlier and how they're a dead team. But right now, they feel like a dead team. And the other problem is, and it, it, it pisses me off and it shouldn't, my phone is littered with text messages from Yankee fans just destroying me. And I'm like, I did not text you once about the Yankees this season. I really didn't. I wasn't attacking it. And I got one guy texting me the brave mascot running around with the the logo. I'm like, what? What?" So now I got to have it rubbed in. (sighs) It's just... This was our worst nightmare, and that's that's really what it was. As Met fans, we were told we were being too negative. Maybe not me, maybe not you, maybe not all of us, but there were moments of negativity this season, and this was the weekend we feared, getting swept by the Atlanta Braves and losing the National League East. And yes, they had a lot of opportunities over the last month against bad teams. They absolutely did. But what cost them the NL East is that when they went mano-a-mano, with the team that they were rivals with all year, and a team that they had handled for the most part this season, they blew it. And it goes back to that four-game series, because that kind of woke them up. The Braves won three out of four. That final game of the series, with DeGrom not being able to get through the seventh inning, and I think it was Vaughn Grissom scoring from first base on a hit, and Nimmo's noodle arm, and then the weird Lindor slide, and Alonzo swinging when Lindor had second stolen against Jansen. Everything about that last game would have been a huge swing. And the Braves wouldn't go away all season long. And they won the NL East, and congratulations to them and boo-hoo for us. Uh, any final thoughts off? Because I just want to sleep now. No,
1: no. Let's, I'll talk to you Wednesday. I don't really. We're, we, I, I, we're not doing a recap of any of these Nationals games, are we?
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> Here's how we'll do it. Here's how we'll do it. I'll tell you, I'll lay it out for you. We will give you a podcast Wednesday after the national series to recap the series a little bit because I'm sure there'll be some things to talk about it to talk about. Maybe it's Alvarez getting a couple of hits. Maybe our feel uncertain guys change. So we'll do a little bit on the series, and then we'll have a separate podcast where we'll preview the wild card series. So figure we'll have, give you one Wednesday recapping the Nat series and the regular season as a whole. And then on Thursday. We'll give you a postseason preview. All right. That's what we'll do coming up next week on Rico and uh, Med fans. I listen. I'd love to say something positive. I guess the only positive thing I'll say is there's a new season beginning on Friday and maybe the new season will make us forget about the old season. And maybe when we're down the canyon of heroes in a month, I can't even say it with a straight face. We'll all laugh about that three-game sweep at the hands of the Braves. We'll all chuckle. We'll say, ah, remember that? Remember how bad that was? If only, if only. And I'll be on with Craig, 2 o'clock Monday afternoon, Hoffman producing Tiki and Tierney. There was a beautiful Jet victory and Giant victory for the Giant fans out there. But, boy, uh, kind of bittersweet, I must admit. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronya.